This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There's always a lot happening around the climate change file. The United Nations held the Climate Ambition Summit last week. There were also protests all over the world. Journalist Arno Kopecki was at the protest in Vancouver. Hello, Arno. Hello, Dave Brown. Arno. How I, I'm always interested in talking about these protests. What was yeah. the vibe like at the Vancouver protest? You know, it was a really good vibe. It was it was joyous. I, I myself have a, a ambivalent relationship to activism and, and protests, and have tended to just sort of cover them as a journalist and be a part. And and this time though, I was like, you know what? Uh, screw that. I'm just going to join the marchers. So I went with my family, my daughter, and my wife, and we drew placards. My daughter's seven years old. Some of her friends were there and we marched. Uh, we filled city blocks. There was 5,000 people and carnival bands and costumes and great signage, really clever, witty stuff. Uh, so it was, you know, we were surrounded by like-minded people. It was joyous. Uh, also, there was some righteous anger. Yeah, perfect sign there. You know, lots of that kind of stuff. So it was, it was nice. It was really good to be a part of that. Uh, if that's my like immediate, you know, in a total vacuum of context, uh, it was nice to be surrounded by thousands of mm. people who are like-minded and, and share the concern that I have for the climate. I'm just going to reference the sign that you referenced that popped up on screen there, a little described video yeah. for uh, folks at home. It was actually, it was an image of somebody holding a sign uh, that said, I'm with her, with an arrow that pointed to the earth, as in uh, I'm with her, yeah. Mother Earth. Really, really quite clever there. There's no doubt uh, about that one. So, Arno, I remember, no, okay, this, first of all, I'm very upset by the passage of time. 2019, those were the big Greta <laughs> yes. Thunberg youth protests. I cannot believe it's been four years. I'm very upset about this. But how did this protest compare to some of those big protests that took, uh, took place in 2019? Right, well, the numbers are sort of distressing all around, not just the passage of time, but the, the diminution of size of these protests. You're right. 2019 was the last big global protest that happened uh, exactly as this year's was uh, in advance of a UN Climate Ambition Summit. And so in 2019, Greta Thunberg was headlining in New York, which was the epicenter then as now uh, of this global strike. So there was 500. This year, there was about 500 cities that took part. Um, it was much smaller this year than in 2019. In Vancouver, uh, there was 5,000 people who came out. This year, uh, in 2019, there had been 100,000 people, so, you know, 1 wow. And we saw a similar, maybe not quite that scale of reduction, but definitely a similar reduction everywhere. New York uh, was about 75,000 people came out this year uh, compared to 250,000, they estimated, in, in 2019. Um, so just a general decline, and it really showed the toll that the pandemic has taken um, on organizing capacity, on people's will, uh, you know, there's, it's not just the pandemic, there's all, there's a housing crisis, there's inflation, there's so many things going on right now. Um, so I think it, but the movement has been sapped of its energy is one mm. way of looking at it. And another way is to say, well, this, nobody was expecting this year to be as big as, as 2019. Greta Thunberg has also stepped out. I think she doesn't want to be the cult leader. She wants the movement to sort of 
uh, have its own life and not be all about her, which yeah, I think everybody yeah. really respects. Um, but, you know, you could see the loss of, of that and the, the toll of the pandemic. And so I think, the, you know, the positive spin, uh, and I don't think it's just spin, I think it's real, is, is that um, the movement is rebuilding. And this was its first salvo, and they did succeed. I can't think of another cause or movement uh, that can bring protesters out in 500 cities all around the world and thousands, some of them hundreds, you know, some cities had massive protests. So it wasn't nothing by any means. Uh, but it was also somewhat discouraging after, especially after the summer that we just had, I think, which was just such a brutal, mm. like really almost violent summer of, of climate impacts and, and people all over the world, certainly all over North America, were, were, you know, it was front and center for so many of us. And so I think some of us were hoping for a, a bit more, but also, um, you know, that that's sort of the, the balance that I, when I look back on it, I'm like, well, it wasn't awful. Um, it was actually quite good. It could have been better. Yeah, it's a matter of scale and relativity, right? That maybe the yeah. movement not, might not be as front and center as it was in 2019. I remember yeah. the day of the protest in 2019 of the student strikes. I oh, took yes. Ottawa's brand new LRT to head downtown to go observe it and go take okay. part in it. And I thought to myself, look at this beautiful new piece of public transportation and all these young <laughs> people going down there. And I'm young yeah. too because I'm only 35. You know, I still have a little <laughs> youth left in me and now all of a sudden four <laughs> years later it's an LRT that never works and, uh, and a movement that at least has at least like lost a little momentum right I don't mean to oh be diminishing. I don't mean to get in the way of your optimism but it feels like it's a diminishing sort of optimism oh yeah I mean the the movement has definitely lost its momentum I, I think even though you know I know that the organizers agree nobody's nobody really disputes that and uh so the question now is can they get it back and then and then always the question is you know what impact do these movements even have you know um what did it have in 2019 what difference do these things make and so mm -hmm. that's something I've been thinking a lot about yeah Let's let's talk about the UN Climate Ambition Summit itself what are some of your sure. big t big takeaways from the event well, you know, so the, the um, Climate Ambition Summit was uh, embedded within the UN General Assembly meeting uh, that was going on all week. And Antonio General uh, Antonio Guterres, who is, is the sort of the climate chief at the UN, he's the I see him as this sort of uh, the, the shepherd, this, this border collie who's really constantly trying to, like, get these leaders to sit down and, and, and think big and, and make and get more aggressive. And, and so he organized this climate ambition summit, only 34 countries were invited to take part. And they were specifically selected as the countries who have the biggest uh, goals. Canada made it in there, which surprised some because of we are also uh, one of the biggest, you know, expanders We're the fourth biggest producer of oil and gas and our production is expanding faster than anybody else except the United States which was not invited. Um, mm. So the purpose of the meeting was to sort of bring some leaders together, get them to make harder promises and get real in advance of the next big UN climate meeting, which is happening in two months in Dubai, COP, uh, COP 28. It is now the 28th <laughs> of these meetings. We've been doing this for 28 years. If you don't want to count the years, try that. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, what, what, what's the takeaway? You know, Canada was both... Uh, chastised very publicly for its its expanding fossil fuel production, but also Trudeau uh, agreed to commit, and he was sort of pressured to commit on uh, putting a firm cap on emissions, which he's been promising to do for two years. And now he said, okay, by the end of this year, we will table legislation to cap emissions in this country. Hmm. Um, a lot of those leaders actually spoke about fossil fuels and the need to wind down fossil fuels, which is language that 
has not been part of this process at the UN. If you read the Paris Agreement, the word fossil fuel, does those words do not appear anywhere in the Paris Agreement. They just talk about emissions. Right. And, you know, they, they skirt around that issue for very real political reasons. And so this year, though, uh, you had a number of presidents from Colombia and Chile and Spain. Uh, so Colombia is a big oil and gas producer. So it was notable to hear the president of Colombia say, we need to wind down fossil fuel production. And that kind of language was coming up more than it ever has before. Mm. Yeah, even uh, even going into the summit, the new president of Brazil said, hey, we're going to revisit some of our climate goals as well along deforestation yeah. in the Amazon. So again, that, that right. shift is clearly existing, um, sometimes depending on political leanings based on the country. But maybe we'll just put Definitely. a pin on that thought because I don't want to talk about politicians. <laughs> I want to talk about the courts because there is some really interesting stuff going mm. on on the judicial side in climate change. Yeah. California yeah. announced they intend to sue the world's biggest oil manufacturers. They made that announcement during the summit. You've got six young people in Europe right now taking countries' governments yeah. to court for lack of action. Yeah. That's also happened in a couple states in the United States as well. But let's focus on the California side of this. What's the breakdown of their case? Yeah, so California is suing the five biggest oil companies, five of the biggest oil companies on Earth, including Exxon, Shell, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, uh, and one other that is escaping me at the moment. Um, and it is a mass, not the first lawsuit of its kind, but by far the biggest to have a, a state, you know, California is the fifth biggest economy in the world. Uh, they have enormous resources to throw in this court case. I don't mean to, to, to denigrate, uh, the other court cases that are out there, but if you're Exxon, you're going to be much more afraid of the state of California than you are of, of five high school students. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so California and the, the, the governor of California, we don't need to talk about politicians, but it's worth noting that the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, is leading the charge on this. He was speaking at that U.N. assembly uh, at the Climate Ambition Summit, laying out in very just scathing terms how uh, aggressive they are going to be and that this can move the needle. And the basis of the case is basically that uh, California is suing these companies for having lied and spread disinformation about climate change and the impact of combusting fossil fuels that their own scientists and their own research showed has shown for decades uh, what the impacts are going to be of continued fossil fuel consumption. And they buried that knowledge and hid it and actively spread disinformation about it in exactly the same way that tobacco companies did for the link between smoking and cancer. So there's a really direct analogy here. And it was ultimately these huge lawsuits that really brought big tobacco down. And the reason that people, you know, smoke a lot less and that big tobacco is, is no longer nearly as big as it was, was these huge lawsuits that found them guilty of those lies. Yeah. And so now you have the state of California that is suing these huge companies, Exxon, Shell, Chevron, BP, these are massive, massive global mm -hmm. companies, mm -hmm. and it takes a state like California, you know, you need a jurisdiction of that size with those resources to take them on, and that will open the gates. You know, if they, they haven't put a number on it, they've, they've said, you know, it's going to be a big number, but they're still working out what, what, how much they're going to sue yeah. for. But that's the, that, that is at the heart of the case, that they're saying, you guys have lied 
about what you knew and and when you knew it and you have actively spread disinformation and that's fraudulent and that's illegal and we're suing you for it. California becomes a very interesting case study on climate change because it is a coastal mm -hmm. community. So by being a coastal state right away, you know the ocean levels is going to be a big concern, but they're also Definitely. a massive agricultural state. One third yeah. of uh, vegetables produced in the United States are grown in California. Yeah. Two thirds of fruit produced in the United States are grown in California. So when you talk about drought and other issues that are going to come alongside oh, yeah. climate change, alongside things like forest fire, you can really see where they have a vested stake in this conversation. Totally. I think they're so they're such an emblematic state because they are both hardest hit for the reasons you just mentioned. You know, the Colorado River is drying up dramatically like that farming situation is in deep trouble. Uh, their fires uh, have been crazy these last 10 years. They're they're on the sea level. Sea levels are rising. And they are also a state that has been built by oil profits. Uh, Chevron is based in California. Right. Uh, Los Angeles used to be a sea of oil dairies like they're California has produced a ton of oil in their history. Now it's Hollywood and tech. But uh, before Hollywood and tech, there was oil. That's what got California going. So, and they still produce a lot of it. Um, yeah. So it, it's interesting. You know, I think that really uh, speaks volumes. It's, it's, I think, easier to take a, a righteous stance against climate change when you don't have any money or history of producing fossil fuels. But when you do, um, it, it really sends an even stronger message, one that I, I hope. Canada is listening to. <laughs> Arno, thank you for this. Your insight on these issues is always so appreciated. Have a great day out there in British Columbia. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. You too. That's Arno Kopecki, a journalist based in BC. Coming up next, let's have a little bit of fun. It's the season for fall flavors. Jenny Bovard will share her favorite drinks this time of year, and so will I. Got a sneaking suspicion that apples are going to be involved. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.